Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. With free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of Pro Shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also, check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. You can hear Above 180 on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and beyond, on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me today on the Above180.com podcast is Joe Slowinski. Joe is a USBC Gold Level Coach, the 2009-2010 National Collegiate Coach of the Year, and Joe also is the owner of the website BowlingKnowledge.info. Check that out. Lots of great stuff there from tips uh, to oil patterns to all sorts of stuff to help improve your game. So, Joe, I want to thank you for joining me today. Well, thanks a lot. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, always great to talk about bowling. Exactly. Well, Joe, we've had you on the shows in the past, and, and you talked about your DYDS and could you briefly explain some newcomers to the party, just the whole implementation and the whole thought behind your DYDS system? Uh, DYDS stands for Drop Your Damn Shoulder. Uh, it emerged from the constant uh, comments from coaches and players that blame mistakes on uh, dropping the ball side shoulder down. And uh, what I've done is explore the biomechanical cause and effect relationships with things such as lateral spine tilt. And uh, it's evolved from there. I'm developing a coach certification process uh, through uh, the focus on really helping coaches and players understand how they can generate more energy to the bowling ball with less effort and really taking how the body actually works and developing a better understanding so people uh, can help educate bowlers and help them to develop much more quickly than uh, historically possible. I want to hit on one thing that you mentioned there, which was taking less effort, because that's one thing that I constantly hear when I'm working with Chris Warren up here in Southern Oregon is less effort, less effort. Don't try to do this. It'll, it'll happen on its own. I, I noticed on your website, which you check it out, it's bowlingknowledge.info. Lots of great stuff on there, but you have some different drills. So what, what's one drill for me? Because I'd like to always, you know, I'd like to put as much effort into it and I really don't need to. I need to let the ball do the work and let the ball, like you said, like gravity take over. Well, if you look at the Drop Your Damn Shoulder Facebook group, there's a couple Drop Your Damn Shoulder uh, drills that are on that particular uh, group. If you just search for Drop Your Damn Shoulder uh, on Facebook, you can join that. There's over 3,500 members now. Uh, by just simply moving your head outside of your hip in the setup and creating lateral spine tilt, it will have a direct relationship on things such as footwork, uh, swing space creation, hand position into the release, and having more balance at the foul line just by simply creating lateral spine tilt in the setup. 
There's a specific drill uh, that I have where you place the ball next to your ankle in the setup for about three seconds, and you try to sustain that angle that you've created by just putting the ball next to your ankle. Uh, there are several other drills at bowlingknowledge.info, but uh, creating more lateral spine tilt is one of the easiest ways uh, to improve your game uh, immediately. So is there someone who, maybe if they're an advanced bowler, maybe if they're getting up there in years, is there anyone who you would probably be hesitant to have them drop their shoulder, or would it be just a, a less pronounced dropping of their shoulder if they're a little bit older or they have some physical limitations? Well, well certainly as you age, you have uh, less flexibility in general. Uh, but the core of DYDS is using your neck, which is a much more flexible component of your spine. If you think about the your neck, you have approximately 45 degrees of flexibility, the mid-spine uh, about 35, and then your lower spine about 25 degrees. So really we want to use the neck and uh, working with bowlers that are well over 60 and 70 years old, if they use their neck uh, to create space, they're able to do this as well. But certainly physical fitness and health is directly correlated with uh, athleticism. And that includes uh, bowling as well. But using the neck more than any part of the spine is fundamentally a way to achieve uh, this concept uh, in a very easy to implement way. Joe, I know we were talking and setting up this interview how you are just uh, traveling all over the world. You're doing doing stuff down in Chile and you're in South America doing things and you're kind of all over the place Talk about some of the, the um, how you overcome some of the challenges, I guess you could say, in your constant travel schedule and how you're able to coach people, you know, from all over the world and, and where you're traveling. Yes, 19 countries visited last year. Uh, certainly a road warrior coach. Uh, I think the, the biggest challenge uh, is just being away from my family, my wife and my son. Uh, but everybody that I work with and see really shares a passion uh, for bowling. Uh, for language, there are always people on the road that speak English very well, so they often serve as a translator if they're a participant. Um, most people are familiar with the work that I do and are excited to work with these new concepts and really understand them better. So because there's a shared passion and enthusiasm, it really is a joy to be on the road. Uh, yes, certainly it takes a certain kind of personality and character to be away from home so much, uh, being comfortable with different cultures and people. But I find that one of the rewards of what I do. So here stateside, we have this um, kind of a mentality that, that there's a decline in bowling and that bowling is going on, you know, it's, it's seen its better days, so to speak. When you travel overseas and, and you're based overseas, what, what is the, what do you, what thoughts, what's your perspective on that? Well, I think it depends on where you are. In many parts of the world, uh, a lot of the bowlers are really those who have the economic well-being to do it. So bowling in general is a, more of an elitist sport in many countries because of the uh, economic costs involved. Uh, but certainly uh, we're seeing growth in many regions of the world. It depends on which region we're referring to because some are involved in such uh, big events like the Asian games. I was just at the South American games and bowling was treated exactly like all of the other sports. So it was a great joy to be part of that. 
um, the respect level that you get to be an event like that. The Pan American Games, we qualified for the Pan American Games. It will be the same there where these big events with 50 countries and 45 countries, the Olympic Councils fund bowling like a sport. So the federations are able to generate uh, income for training and to develop programs. I think uh, in the United States, uh, we haven't found a way to really tap into the growth of high school and collegiate bowling. Anyone who's been involved in collegiate bowling, it's really the jewel of, of our sport. And we haven't found a way to uh, bridge the gap from college bowling to the professional level. Uh, with team bowling, my, my son actually prefers to watch the team bowling than individual bowling. And we're seeing that it has sustained itself. Uh, but perhaps that's a way to generate uh, more interest in our sport. But certainly the number of membership declines uh, in the 21st century makes it very difficult to generate ad revenue and order to market the sport like it was in the 60s and 70s. I don't know if we're ever going to get back to that time and we have to be creative, but certainly bowling is a global sport. If you look at uh, the major events that the professionals are participating in, a lot of the international players are competitive with the PBA players now. So, But like the, many of the professionals, they're part-time as well. Can you talk about and, and the funding that comes involved in from the Olympic side of things? Is that just something where the USBC possibly has to get on the same page with the Olympic Committee here? So what can be done here to get that changed in stateside, in your opinion? Well, I think the, the leverage point is the Pan American Games. Uh, the next Pan American Games is July of 2015. Um, it w bowling will be showcased with basketball, with volleyball, with swimming and the athletes will be treated exactly the same uh, for the U.S. team as they will for others. Uh, I will be with Team Brazil in that tournament. And I think that's how we have to leverage it. How do we uh, tap into um, some additional funding uh, like other federations do? Asia has, I think, been the most successful. Uh, Korea, Singapore, Malaysia, uh, Philippines, Indonesia, Thailand because of the Asian Games is very similar uh, to the Pan American Games with uh, the Asian Games has 52 countries in competition. The Pan American Games have about 45 countries in, uh, in competition uh, in all of the different sports that are given. But it's the same as the Olympics. Uh, the IOs, the Olympic committees, uh, Olympic councils uh, are those that send teams to these events. These are the events that we need to showcase and tap into in order to build the perception of bowling as a sport. It's very difficult in North America in particular uh, for people to see bowling as a sport. Uh, we, we need a marketing campaign to show, like I said before, the, the athleticism of college bowling. Uh, many of the other countries in, in South and Central America that treat it more of a sport in general. Uh, we needed to get it in the paper, uh, the mainstream uh, news media in the United States uh, showcasing bowling as a sport. And that's very difficult with the softening of lane conditions and the perception of bowling as the rental shoe beer guzzling community of the world. So it's very difficult to, to fight that image. And part of it, I think, is really uh, doing a sustained marketing campaign of bowling as a sport. 
well, uh, highlighting junior gold, highlighting college bowling, highlighting the Pan American Games uh, as a way to show people that people treat it much more as an athletic endeavor than what they see as a recreational event. Well, and, and Joe, myself, and Coach K, Steve Klemkin, the technical director at Storm, started exactly what you're talking. We started a collegiate spotlight where we will interview collegiate players, coaches, uh, people that work in, in the collegiate bowling industry. And um, it's just amazing the passion that these people have. I mean, we'll get emails from people all over wanting to be on these shows. And, and um, it's just, a, and then you get them on, and it's like there's a school spirit and there's this camaraderie among the teams. And it's just a really a, a unique atmosphere that I think, like you said, a lot of people are missing out on that key aspect to bowling. And the one thing I want to bring up with that is one of the things that we hear when we talk to a lot of these collegiate players is they don't like the soft lane conditions. They want, they're used to and they're conditioned to bowl on the challenging conditions as they see that are all sport compliant. What are, are your thoughts that maybe if we can, can kind of keep them in and, and the, the players can kind of set the standard and, and almost – um, demand it from the proprietors that say, look, we want to have a challenging shot to bowl on because this is, this, in order for it to be taken serious, it needs to be a, a true sport? Absolutely. I think human beings in general like a challenge. That's why many very bad golfers want to seek instruction. They know they'll never be a PGA touring professional, but they want to beat their friends. And it needs to start at the top. We need to take the soft conditions out. Uh, everybody will adjust uh, very easily in the sense of it's a challenge. I've, I've, I've read many players, I'm a 230 average player, why should I practice? It's an insult to our game, and it's very short-sighted that they think people want to score outrageous numbers week in and week out without doing anything. I think people really would embrace a challenge of having – really challenging conditions on the lanes. We wouldn't lose players. I think we would gain players because they want to work hard. So our sport would grow rather than uh, continue and decline. Those young players that uh, are preparing for junior gold, those collegiate players, they love the challenge. Competition is why people do things. They don't want to make it easier. They want to make it challenging but with some work to be satisfied with the outcome i just think that we need to get rid of soft conditions completely and i'm, I'm looking on uh bowlingknowledge.info right now joe and you have a actual some of your own signature series challenging patterns and just looking at these uh number one the names are really great from pure evil to doorstep <laughs> to you know um where's the one i just saw i want my mama the 41 foot pattern um you're not as good as you think exactly um it was funny i went out and we just had the pba regional up in up in this area you know and i went and through and i said yeah is this what you, the, the guys are bowling on and it was um viper the 37 foot viper pattern and I'd watched the guys compete yesterday, and the scores were relatively high scoring for a lot of them. And, um, and I watched the guys, and just coming in after, and the lanes had been sitting now for almost 24 hours, and I was able to hit the pocket with relative ease on, on these PBA patterns. So do you think sometimes even some of the PBA patterns need to be tightened up a little bit to maybe like what you're talking about and some of the other folks out there that come up with these patterns? Well, well because you have the oil conditioner on the lane, and you have bowling balls that extract oil, even the most difficult patterns over time will become, ease, uh, become easy to play. 
Uh, in fact, the better the players, that's why we see some incredible scores at the US uh, BC Open is that players work together collectively. It's what you learn in college bowling as well, uh, to play the lanes together to create more margin of error in the lane. So really it has to do with how well you can do on the fresh patterns. Like you said, they had bowled eight games or more when after, uh, and then you came and played on it. It was pretty wide open by the time that you bowled on it. So it was relatively easy. So a U.S. Open pattern can be very, very easy to play after people have bowled on it for a while. So, yes, the quality of the player, uh, how closely they play the lane together will impact the scoreability of the pattern. But most patterns become very easy after uh, extended play because it becomes open and with the right equipment matchup, surface matchup, uh, and playing the right part of the lane, you can make any pattern look very easy. Well, you, you brought up the USBC Open again going on in Reno this year. I'd, I'd asked you if you could take a look and just give us your overall impressions on the patterns. I mean, the, the bowlers have started coming out. There were, you know, 20-some days into the tournament. Um, seen some good players come out there, so I'm not going to disrespect anyone who's already bowled the tournament. But still, the cream of the crop, so to speak, is still yet to come in, in uh, April, May, and June. And, um, and I just want to get your thoughts and your overall impressions on the pattern and then, you know, what you think as far as if it will make people be, you know, if it is that demanding of a pattern for, uh, for the bowlers. Well, well, certainly the scoring pace of the team event is, I think is higher than historically, uh, been achieved. Really the, the pattern lengths 43 feet, 24 mils. Um, it's pretty wide open. If you look at the structure, the reverse uh, brush drops at 33 feet. So, there's not a lot of oil at the end of the pattern for uh, 12 feet or so. So if you look at side-to-side uh, -side ratios uh, down the lane, it, it, it's pretty wide open from the beginning. And I think that's why we're seeing already uh, a good number of 700 sets right out of the gate. Uh, in fact, I've heard, read for some players that they didn't even really attempt to break it down because it has side-to-side uh, -side openness and lengthwise openness. Uh, you can see the, the opening event of doubles, though, is playing a little bit tighter than expected. Uh, part of the factors are the hardness of the lane surface, uh, as well as the viscosity of ice oil. It's a little bit higher viscosity, so it takes longer to break down. The people that have been very successful uh, on, on the single, in the singles event are really those, I think, that collectively played together during the doubles take a little bit longer to break it down and then once you break it down you're going to be chasing inside and use the margin of error that's down the lane but the the 40 foot pattern has a little bit more volume uh, over 26 mils uh, the structure has a little bit more oil down the lane as well so it's taking longer to break down and we can really see but for the most part people are saying that the double scores uh, are quite low i looked up the numbers the leader now would be in about 44th place from last year, which historically, if we see leaders now, they're going to be up in the top 20 already uh, of where the finishing pace will be. So I think people need to expect that uh, the team event is going to be more wide open compared to historical uh, plays on the pattern. Uh, but you have to be very patient in that doubles event to secure yourself a good score in singles. So I know a lot has been made in years past of teams, you know, your companion teams and everyone kind of playing the lanes properly and, like you said, breaking down the lanes. 
with the with the new ice uh, oil and such, is that as big of an issue these days as it once was? Well, I think it's actually more important now because when you have a higher viscosity oil, the pattern structure stays a little bit longer. So if you don't take care of breaking the manipulating the pattern in the beginning, uh, your single scores are going to suffer greatly because you won't have that margin of error built in and people will be playing uh, all over the place. What's nice about working with your group, even on the team event, even though the pattern's wide open, you can create even more margin of error but by starting to break it down further to the outside than you expect. Um, that's going to give you recovery to the inside, and because you're outside, it's also going to give you hold to the inside. So I think with a higher viscosity oil, especially on the harder lane surface, meaning harder by uh, – you know, it, there's not as much friction built into the, the lane panels. You need to really take care of manipulating the lane, especially in practice and even into the start of the event. Uh, if you don't do that, uh, you're going to be in for a long two days. Okay, Joe, final question for you because I know it's getting very late for you, and I appreciate again, appreciate you uh, hanging with me and recording this with me right now. Um, Jason Belmonte, I want to get your thoughts. You know, Jason has uh, defended his Masters title, you know, won the Bar- Barbasol Tournament of Cla- uh, Champions back in uh, in last month, it was. I want to get your thoughts on Jason and the whole two-handed thing because there's, there's always people that are going to be hating on the two-handed approach. But yet, you never hear them complain when a two-handed bowler goes and shoots 200 under for a tournament. It's only the two-handed bowlers that do good. So is it just... Is it, and that's probably how, just as a culture we act, is, is we want to take the person who's doing well down. But back to two-handed bowling, is that something that you're seeing a lot of, and, and uh, is that the new thing, or is that just going to be a phase where Jason did it really well, Oscu did it really well, and there's a couple that did it well, but it couldn't really catch on because it was just so difficult to duplicate? Well, I looked at the numbers from last year working with players. Uh, again, I was in 19 countries. I believe the numbers were 15 two-handers that I worked with including three women. Um, It's certainly another way to bowl. Uh, I think very much like the Fosbury flop came around and revolutionized bowling. I don't think one-handed bowling is going to go away, but I think two-handed bowling is a legitimate way to bowl. Uh, When I was at Kegel, at the Kegel Training Center, uh, Jason came in with uh, the IAB boot camp. He stayed around for a couple days the coaches were able to work with him, and he was one of the most coachable players I've ever seen. Um, he worked very, very hard for two days to help evolve his game. So we had the Kegel Training Center staff, uh, as well as Ron Hoppy was there, and he was one of the most professional uh, athletes that I had seen, meaning He was willing to try. He had great discussions about the uh, evolution and changes in his game. And that illustrates to me why he is the best player in the world today. It has to do with his work ethic, his coachability, and his focus in becoming a professional bowler at the highest level. Great stuff, Joe. Want to uh, thank you for joining me today. Again, check out bowlingknowledge.info.com. Got lots of great stuff. You can check out these oil patterns if you want to take a lesson from Joe. There's there are places where you can send Joe your videos and and he does some uh, some analysis for you. And um, again, great stuff. Great website to check out and and check out Joe's Facebook page as well. And uh, Joe, we're going to link to that on ours. So hopefully we can all you know we can all be in this together because that's the one thing is we all need to stay together. 
and focus to keep our sport moving forward and help bridge some of that gap between that youth and and the adults and and help keep keep the momentum we have because you know what there's people like to focus on the negatives but there are some a, a lot of positives in bowling and that's what we need to be focusing on absolutely